we're at the Jewish Contemporary Museum in San Francisco to talk with feminist artist Judy Chicago. Now Judy is probably best known for her 1978 iconic work, The Dinner Party. She recently released a new book called Frida Kahlo, Face to Face, and in it she and her co-author, art historian Francis Barzello, delve into Frida Kahlo's work and life by holding a conversation about selected paintings. So what made you want to do this book project, and what were your goals for it? It's actually a wonderful story how it happened. Apparently, in the early 1970s, when I was first doing my research on women's history and looking for forerunners in terms of women's art, I had started putting together a slide library, and I guess I did a slide lecture, I think, at the Women's Building, because I don't actually remember it. And at that time, Frida Kahlo was not very well known at all. People forget that. And I included some slides of her work that I had found. And in the audience was a young guy who was going to school in Los Angeles, who grew up to be the editor-in-chief of the New York office of Prestel. So when Prestel wanted to do a book on Frida Kahlo, Chris thought it would really be a good idea to try and do something different. And he remembered that lecture because that was the first time he'd ever heard of Frida Kahlo. So he contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in doing this. And so it was a kind of out of the blue opportunity and I thought, well, that'd be interesting. You know, I've never done anything like that. Maybe I'll try it. But I told Chris that I'd only do it if I could work with an art historian because after all, I'm not an art historian. And I specifically wanted the British art historian, Frances Borzello, because she's an expert in two areas that I wanted to look at in terms of Kello's work. One, she's an expert in the history of female self-portraiture, which curiously is a context into which Kello has not been placed. And she's also an expert on the relationship between women and still life painting. And as I explored Kello's work, I realized with a start her production is small, about 180 paintings, 80 of which are self-portraits, but 40 are still lives. And so I thought Francis and I might be able to bring a new approach to Callow, and also one of my big goals was to look at her overall body of work separate from her biography. And how did you and Francis Barzello come up with the idea of doing a conversation? Well, Francis came over from London to um, my studio, and we sat on the floor with all these pictures of Callows that I had prepared, and we kind of started looking at them, and we started talking about them. And it was kind of an organic process from how we approached the material. We sorted it into themes because we saw a number of themes, and then we had already agreed that each of us would write an essay. And I think it was Chris's idea to try and actually have it as a dialogue because he saw when we started, we did some sample writing, you know, she wrote, I wrote. And I think when he first saw those first examples, he thought, now this would really be interesting to put these together on a page and so you could see these two points of view. When did you first encounter Frida Kahlo's work? 
that was what I was talking about in the early 70s. And I don't actually remember which pictures I saw at first, but, uh, you know, not very many because there weren't very many sort of that had entered the discourse yet. For example, my birth, which is such a startling picture, uh, was not known. It wasn't even known. I, I hadn't seen it when I started the birth project in 1980 because at that time I, I thought there were no precedents in terms of Western art for images of birth from a female perspective. So uh, whatever I saw were minimal examples. Because you know, in the 70s, Kello was viewed as Rivera's wife who also paints. Why do you think Frida Kahlo became iconic in the feminist movement? Well, it's not just the feminist movement. Uh, a lot of things intersected in terms of Callow's being propelled into the stratosphere and the freedomania that exists. First of all, the first wave of interest in Callow was, of course, from the feminist art movement, where you know a lot of women artists were looking for the, our predecessors and searching for um, evidence of women who had gone before us. And I, and myself, was looking to find some validation for what I was formulating then, which was a fem the idea of creating a feminist art practice, which was uh, art that, at, at its core and its center, was women's experiences in the same way that men's art has drawn on you know, men's experiences. And at that time, in the 60s, when I was coming up in Southern California, it was a complete taboo for there to be any evidence of one's gender, if you're a woman, in your art. So I had excised all traces as much as I could. And, you know, after a decade, I got tired of that. I wanted to be myself. And so I was look, and that was when I also met Ani Isnin. And I was looking for uh, ways of validating this notion of a female centered art, which Ani East believed in, and obviously Callow's work exemplified. And so first there was the interest in her work by feminist artists, Anna Mandetta, and Mandetta was extremely influenced by her, for example, the performance artist. She even recreated some of her work, like the notable painting with the skeleton on the top of the bed, but in her case she was embracing the skeleton. And then the second wave of interest came from Hispanic and Chicano artists because of her validation of her Mexican heritage and Mexican culture. And then the third, third wave of interest in Calo came through the gay and lesbian movement because of her gender-bending ways. And of course then that intersected with Hayden Herrera's biography and then the film about her and all these forces kind of came together. But as Francis and I try and say, ultimately comes down to the art. And as Francis says in the book, Callow's art uh, celebrated women's way of thinking, women's way of being, women's experiences in a way that has always been the prerogative of men. Do you have a favorite piece of Frida Kahlo's in the book, or, or one that affected your work in some way? Well, you know, I, I'm pretty, I was pretty far along in my career by the time I took on this book. And there are a couple of paintings by Callow that I am very drawn to. The, the painting of her and her monkey, Fulang, from 1940. I really love that painting because I, you know, I, I, as I talk about in the book, I'm really interested in women 
artists' representation of animals, because there have been a number of women artists who have painted animals, including in the Bay Area, Joan Brown, Rosa Bonheur, uh, Romer, who was a cat painter, uh, Callow, myself, and uh, I think in all of us, in our work, there's a sense of connection with the animals in that particular painting where the, the monkey has these enormous hands, way too big for the monkey, and you know, they, he's got them around her neck over there. He's holding her and he's strangling her both at the same time because monkeys are historically a symbol of lust, so that's amusing. And then she, the monkey, just like Callow, is looking straight at you, you know, with this like, I'm proud to be a monkey, which <laughs> is a great look. You know, kind of accentuates its individuality, its, I'm going to say personhood, but that's not the right word for its monkeyness. And, and then to get, then there's this, the, these ribbons that encircle both of them, you know, that entwine them and connect them. I really like that painting a lot. I also, of course, like um, the, what, the, the uh, two Fridas. I mean, that's such a desolate and incredible painting, but I mean, I don't think, well, since I have had a lot, have had to endure a lot of isolation in my career in order to continue to pursue my own vision, you know, um, I, I relate to the idea of being your own companion. Did Frida Kahlo's popularity help to give other women the opportunity to get into museums? No, actually, it, it, one of the things that's odd, odd about, uh, as, I ta as I mentioned in the book, okay, let me back up a little bit. When Elizabeth Blackwell, the first woman to become a doctor in America, entered the medical school at the end of the 19th century as a joke, she was accepted as a joke, and graduated cum laude, Instead of opening the door to other women, the, the college firmly closed the door and passed a law excluding women. So what the, my point is, is, is that the um, achievements of a single woman do not necessarily open the way for other women. And one reason in terms of art, and you can see this in both Callow and O'Keefe, is the tendency to exceptionalize them. So if they are exceptional women and they somehow force their way into the male-centered narrative and canon of modern art, well, they have to be exceptions. And what doesn't come in with them is women's history, the history of women's art, the history of the feminist art movement, all of which provide context that broadens our understanding of their work and by separating that their work somehow looks odd and in fact I was talking in San Diego about uh, Nikki de Saint-Fel who has a lot of work in San Diego who lived there towards the end of her life and there's been a recent book published by my publisher Prestel and I'm reading it and I'm a great admirer of Nikki de Saint-Fel's and I'm reading and she's like, Nikki is an exception. Nikki is an oddity. Nikki doesn't belong anywhere. And I'm like, that's the degree to which this exceptionalizing of women infiltrates women's own perception of themselves so they don't even see themselves in what is a broad and important historic context, which is what I've been fighting for for most of my career, which is to understand 
women's achievements, in, not only in relation to the mainstream, but in the context and history of our struggle for equity, our struggle for psycho psychological freedom as artists, and our struggle for a place in the world.